This week on the Indo Daily. I actually don't believe right that priests said her any harm. He just like thought I knew. But that's how I found out Miriam Martina was dead. How likely is it that Trump will be found guilty of paying hush money to former adult film star Stormy Daniels? We're talking about involvement in serious drugs activity on both sides of the border and as well as that, the procurement of weapons. Find and follow us at all the usual spots and over on the Irish Independent website. Shachtan, an indo Askeliga. Time in mon iroti yen of chacht erachor. Agus suligam a makan sha gurfeder erachor inuik kiart len of winter fein. Skilti fis turmi. Tashe dochretche nach vetoch ara igornamyan on kieschen ekol. Vien talam aginam griv arkar nrachtum. Yatakshe talam griven arkar stan elistu halagus kimen fracht gara klixar dukeshen ekor. Nani vien aun tardarakshen. Schachten. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Matewa, O'Driscoll, Morgan, extra man, it's Fitzgerald. Oh, Fitzgerald is cutting back inside! Leicester have another! Darcy O'Driscoll oh. through the legs, Rob Carney. Hello and welcome to the Left Wing Independent.ie's Rugby Podcast. I'm Will Slattery. Delighted to be joined, as always, by Luke Fitzgerald. Luke, hello. Hi, Will. How are things? Yeah, doing well, thanks. And also delighted to be joined on the show this week by our good friend, Keen Tracy. Keen, how are you? Hey, lads, not too bad. How are you keeping? And it's funny, it's all of a sudden, you know, there's dribs and drabs, last few weeks of rugby stuff to talk about, really, to sink our teeth into. But this week, there's a couple of things that have popped up. You know, what a week for months. I think Brendan Fanning summed it up well. He had a piece there that went up earlier to saying, like, you couldn't you couldn't make this stuff up between that, that unfortunate accident. Thank God the players turned out to be okay. And the news today about the Rainbow Cup final, Treviso are already there, or Benetton rather, because um, their game against the Ospreys, they've gotten that walkover. It's been a crazy couple of days. Yeah, it's never a dull moment in, in Limerick, lads. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty mad. I think the, you hit the nail on the head there. The most important thing is like that the players have actually managed to avoid like being seriously injured. Um, now, obviously, they were hospitalised and they have to see a specialist over burns and stuff. Um, it's, it's just absolutely mental. But I suppose the interesting thing that's kind of come out, like that the Allende spoke to... South African media, Stephen Larkin was up yesterday um, and Jacques Nienarber was up today and the kind of every one of them said that like it could have been much, much worse. And I think that's the reality of it. They've done well to, to avoid something very serious here. Um, yeah, so they've obviously been dealing with that for the last few days. And then the news today that they're heading to Zebra of all places or Parma on Friday for a dead rubber. It's probably not what they wanted to hear to, to lift the spirits. Um, Particularly not for Munster, who've put a lot of eggs in the in the Rainbow Cup basket. To be fair, um, so yeah, it's been it's been a very tricky few days. Yeah, Luke, what are you made of the the, the developments? Um, if the injuries weren't so serious, I'd probably have a chuckle because um, it's a, it's a bit mad <clears throat> to think that you know, I well, I don't know, they set themselves on fire whilst barbecuing. Um, I suppose it just shows you've got to be so careful, haven't you? But um, 
yeah, like I mean, was <laughs> when you're putting petrol on a on a on a fire. Um, I kind of would have thought that was kind of <laughs> well, one on one. I wouldn't be mixing the two. Um, again, sorry for chuckling. It's not. It, it, of course, it's very serious that that people have gotten injured, but it does seem really stupid, and they've gotten very very lucky with what seem like um, hopefully minor injuries. Um, so hopefully everyone just gets to move on from this. It's a weird episode. Uh, you know, it's a weird way to end a weird season. Um, probably, um, you know, it's been a once in a lifetime season. And I think this is, a, it's it's no surprise that something weird has happened at the end like this as well. I don't know. Um, and, and, and the Benetton thing just sums it all up. I mean, we don't even get to see them play out against the Ospreys um to stick to the final while it's brilliant that they they're there it's great for italian rugby you still you'd like to see them earn it a little bit more than they have i mean there's been two cancelled fixtures you know and that's why we're all happy they're kind of that that they're playing well they're competing well um you know you still have to see them playing a bit more to get into a final um so that's been disappointing too will so yeah there's loads of like kind of real interesting week to talk about some of the stuff but also a really weird week yeah and keen i suppose from a Munster perspective as you mentioned you know they had kind of targeted you know getting a rainbow cup into their trophy cabinet considering the season they had you know missing out in the pro 14 final and going out in europe and after getting that kind of great win against leinster a big win you know you know ending i think it was six or seven uh defeats in a row that run uh, you know, ultimately, you know, Benetton beat Connacht and Munster didn't. Like, if Munster had beaten Connacht, they'd still have a chance of getting into the Rainbow Cup final. So that must kind of sting doubly. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you'd think that, you know, they had technically speaking done the hard work after finally beating Leinster and essentially ending their interest. Now, I suppose it's important to remember that it absolutely wasn't a first string Leinster team. But yeah, like, Munster set their stall out early, like, that they wanted to, they wanted to win the Rainbow Cup. Um, I mean, Technically speaking, and on paper, it looked like uh, like a good way to sort of um, have people like me stop asking him about you know ten years since without a trophy. But I don't know. I wonder in the back of my mind, is it a blessing in disguise that they don't win? Like let's face it, a Mickey Mouse Cup, and that that you know ends their their drought because like a, a team like Munster has to have far bigger ambitions than winning. A, a competition that, like, like, let's face it, like, no one's going to remember this. I don't think in a few years, and if they do, I think it will be remembered for the wrong reasons. I think you know we've had a few good games, but I think my, certainly my overriding memory, I think, of the Rainbow Cup will be like things like the captains' challenges <laughs> and how long games have been, you know, taking. Uh, to it's turning into the, baseball. It's like you know, three and a half hours to get through, <laughs> get through just, a game. Like, yeah, <laughs> get out for your pitcher of beer. Uh, like, yeah, it, it, I would it, be doing that anyway, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, that's probably one of the upsides with, with having a longer game. Fair <laughs> yeah, like it's been a crazy, crazy couple of weeks. I, and I do like that there are trialing things and it probably is reflective of the quality, as Keen says, of the competition that they were probably going to be trying things like this during it. It was always a bit of a tag on to us to the season in a very uncertain period. So, yeah, it's fairly apt that it's kind of been weird, uh, you know, that it's kind of finished this way. I think as well, like, it's a great point you make, Ian. Um, they were going hard for this one, but let's face it, I think, you know, Munster's a huge look at the stadium, you know, look at the support, um, you know, look at the quality of players and the coaching staff. I mean, there's some serious quality there as well. Like they've lured, I mean, Stephen Larkham is a, is a nice coup. I think Roundtree is very highly renowned and, and I like him every time I've come across him. I think he's seen excellent. Um, 
you know, they've got the players, they've got the big, they've got Dialanda in, you know, they've got Snyman, who's obviously been very unlucky, but there's quality there and there's enough good players for Munster to be competing at the top table. Like Rainbow Cup was never, yeah, it was going to be a, a little stopgap, I think. Um, but, you know, it probably was going to paper over, you know, the, the the real issues and where they really should be competing and maybe drawing the focus away from that, which probably, you know, you know, is it a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know yet. And it remains to be seen. They were like, uh, you know, the competition is obviously done for them at this stage, but would it have given them confidence going into the other ones? I don't know. What's your view on that one? Do you think it would have been good from that perspective? Like, a, I suppose, a springboard? In, in, well, just in just to come in on, on that one, I, and I think you were directing the Keane, but my, my own thought was that, like, I see what Keane's saying, like, they certainly would have higher sights than a Rainbow Cup, but I think getting people, as you say, like you, off their backs a little bit and getting people generally off their backs, I don't think that would have done them any harm either. Like, just to even nip that in the bud, it would have been 10 years. Like, even just getting that talk away. Obviously, people would still be expecting them to challenge for top honours and win those tournaments, but even just to to dilute the narrative slightly, I don't think wouldn't have been a bad thing. I mean, no, maybe, like, yeah. no, no, like it absolutely wouldn't have been a bad thing from a Munster point of view. Like that, this is what I mean because they mm. would have been able to say, "Well, look, we won the Rainbow Cup." But my point is that, like, who cares about the Rainbow Cup really? Like, I mean, I don't think, I don't think if you asked um, a lot of those Munster players honestly, and none of them are probably ever going to admit this publicly, but like that, the Rainbow Cup just like is not what they set out to win. And while it would have got you know people off their backs, they would they have far bigger ambitions and. I think what makes it like how it's all played out even more frustrating for Munster is that because they went so strong at it, they've missed the chance. Like, and, and to be fair, I, I remember being on the pod with you guys a few weeks ago at, at the start of this, and I think we were all in agreement that it was a really good chance to try more younger players. Now, Munster didn't do that, I, I don't think, for me enough. Um, I think if you look at particularly the tight head position you know they've got two young like who look like really impressive guys in Roman Salanoa and Keenan Knox and okay Salanoa has had a couple of injuries but for me like the Rainbow Cup was a chance to try and blood those guys like you said for a springboard into next season whereas I think we're almost still at square one with this like we're not sure like what's the story like are, are Stephen Archer and John Ryan still the two first choice head, tight heads going into next season and um, I know we mentioned this the last time you were on like Jack Crowley being away with the sevens and you know just little things like that I just feel like it's of course it's hindsight but if you had told Johan van Graan that look come the last game of the Rainbow Cup you won't have a chance to get into the the Rainbow Cup final because of Covid issues in another team I think their their outlook would have been a, a little bit different in how they've used this but again that's hindsight but like I said at the start I was pretty that was my opinion that it should have been used as more as a as a vehicle to try and get more young guys game time because I think the quality um, that's at Munster's disposable at the, at the at disposal at the moment, there was enough there to kind of do what Leinster have done so successfully over the Pro 14 in recent years. And for me, that is like when, you know, they throw in a Ryan Baird, but he plays with Devin Toner. You know, it's not like the young guys get thrown in and they're left to kind of sink or swim. I think it would have been nice to see, again, Thomas O'Hearn has had his injuries, I know, but like him playing with someone more experienced and just kind of trying to blood them in that way. I just think it's been a little bit of a missed opportunity. And I think that that will make kind of the, the how Munster look back on the Rainbow Cup even more disappointing. No, it's definitely an interesting point. Um, to maybe move slightly away from, from the Rainbow Cup for a second and talk about, 
I suppose Irish rugby in a broader sense, Luke. You know, David Usavora had his kind of annual press conference last week. We did. We were, had Josh Van der Fleer on the show, so we didn't get a chance to talk about it. And I, Keen, I, I'd say you were probably on that press uh, press conference, were you? I was, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting, like, David Usafora obviously comes in as a performance director in 2014. I think he's one year left on his current deal. And I think there's a question marks about whether he, he even wants to kind of renew it or if he's kind of happy with, you know, eight years in the job. Like, Broadly, Luke, how do you think he's done as the performance director? Like, it's a very wide-ranging, you know, role he has. It's, you know, over the national team, the provinces, basically everything involved in Irish rugby. Like, after eight years in the job, what are your thoughts? It's kind of wide-ranging, but also fairly opaque about mm-hmm. what he's actually really accountable for. Is that is that a fair statement, Keen? Well, he's no? not really, like, I mean, that's been probably part of the problem. He hasn't really been accountable to anyone, like, you know. I mean, I know, yeah. like, someone like Philip Brown. That's what I mean, right? That, that's what I'm saying. Like, you, do you think that's right? Do you think that's a fair statement? Like, I would say the coach seems to suffer if the team plays badly, but I don't know. I've never seen his name really held up. And, like, I mean, the, the two, you know, the two World Cups have been failures, really. Um, I don't know. I mean, and I didn't really see his name up in, in, in headlights for, for either. Well, what's your view on that? Is that fair? No, I think it, it probably is. I think like one of the most frustrating aspects is probably yeah, like that accountability factor, like you said, but it's that, you know, after the, the, the World Cups, like we just haven't seen these reports that, you know, have been put together by the IRFU that, you know, are supposed to be the famous learnings and work-ons that everyone's supposed to be doing. And I think that's one of the most frustrating aspects. Look, like Dave Nusifora came in and to be fair, like he did oversee some pretty good times as well. Obviously like 2018 was, was so special, but he's alienated the club game incredibly. So like the AIL has fallen off a cliff and I think that's been part of the problem, to be honest. Like I think Irish rugby has become too reliant on the school system and in, in particular the Leinster school system. Um, you look at, you know, one of his big things that he came in was putting a big emphasis on the sevens Um for sure, we've we've had guys like you know Hugo Keane and Will Connors who've come through and and definitely benefited from that. But I mean, the women's game like is not in great shape at the moment. I mean, you talk about the men's AIL, like the women's AIL is in in similar nick as well. So yeah, there's a lot of things going on. And like you said, Will, it sounded like he was kind of I don't know even maybe considering not staying on anyway. I think he spent a lot of time back in South Africa during the or sorry not South Africa Australia during. The pandemic i think his family have moved back there um and i suppose you can't really underestimate how important that is as well so i think it's going to be very very interesting uh few months to see because even if new sephora is saying that publicly you'd imagine that he's had conversations with the likes of philip brown and the irfu about what he's going to do in the future so you'd hope that this isn't going to catch the IRFU by surprise that if he doesn't renew his uh, contract next year and that they do have people in mind to take over because like it is a pretty it is a pretty important job and I mean maybe a fresh voice I don't know uh, might be might be good but we'll have to see what happens. Uh, can I can I just t- touch on that one because I, I think I, I didn't I kind of feel like I offloaded that a bit because I just do want I wanted to see if that was if my sense of that role and him uh, around the accountability is what you guys kind of think as well. Um, I would say he presided over one of the luckiest periods for someone in his position in, in, in that Joe Schmidt was running the show for a large portion of his reign. And I, and I say, and I, and I really believe that. I don't attribute much of the success during that period to anyone other than, yes, there was good, like very good player group, but I, Joe Schmidt was like, he's the, he was way ahead. He was like an Alex Ferguson kind of 
um, you know, in his pomp um, during that period. He was so far ahead of all the other coaches and the way he was able, like what he delivered with Leinster, Claremont before that as well, um, you know, and, and Ireland. I, I think he's pretty lucky um, about that, you know, during that little period to have Joe to, to um, you know, I suppose well, I think Joe was the driving force behind that, if I'm being completely honest. He's just he was an outstanding coach. So um yeah, I, I'd be cautious enough about attributing that success to him. I think subsequently there's been, you know, I, I felt there was a lot of kind of offloading done um, you know, around the World Cups. I thought that some of the stuff that did come out didn't really seem to point the finger anywhere other than the players and their lack of kind of I think that wasn't the last one uh, after Japan was that their you know lack of big match. Uh, mentality or whatever it was. There was some performance sort of anxiety. Performance anxiety, like that kind of garbage. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I would say if, if you were looking in at that team and the performances around that, you'd have to say, you know, was there any questions about, you know, succession? You know, they were relying on some really old players in in key positions uh throughout the tournament and people that weren't playing well for a period before. I mean, is that his job to be looking after that? Or is that all the coach? Um, I'd have to you'd have to ask those kind of questions, or is he having those you know fairly serious conversations with the coach? Um, you know, and then subsequently, you know, I think you know it's been it's been an up and down period uh, since Joe Schmidt's gone. You know, so I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm unconvinced about uh, you know his role and and whether he's been a success or not. There, I, if I'm being completely honest. Yeah, just like in terms of stuff maybe under his remit, like a couple of things like, you know, contracting the players, getting, you know, keeping the big names at home, you know, Bar Simon Zebo and Dunnick Ryan, pretty much all the frontline guys that you'd want to keep in Ireland have been kept in Ireland. I think he has to get some credit for that. The player was movement. Simon, Simon Zebo was, was, was the starting fullback when he left. No, I said beside. Like there's been two, there's been two, there's been two guys of out of seven, eight years of 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 contract negotiations to only lose two, isn't it? Wouldn't it be the worst strike rate? I would say. How many were lost before that? Johnny, uh, Sexton. Yeah. Besides that, yeah, I think that's probably it, isn't it? And and then they actually went back on their on on their on the the player agreement and actually let him come back and play for Ireland. So. You know, is that a success? And that's really undermined lots. Well, I think there's a lot of ill will around how they let Johnny come back uh, and no one else is allowed to go ahead and do that. Um, so I'm not sure that that's been a real su- success either. No, look, uh, maybe I'm being very harsh on him. I just don't feel like, is 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 that something that you go, okay, well, he's been very successful because he's been able to do that. I don't well, know. Another, another thing, just to play devil's advocate, the player movement piece that, you know, you know, moving players from province to province, I think that's been one of his you know, big things that he wanted to get in that like, we don't have log jams of players in certain positions in certain provinces. You know, obviously John Cooney to Ulster was a well-known one when he blocked room Pienaar's contract extension. People thought at the time that was a really bad move. Cooney subsequently had an unbelievable couple of years for Ulster. You know, I think I he's he- done, I think he's done a good job of that. I think, I think I, I know not everyone agrees that like, you know, you have the risk of diluting rivalries and I do agree to a certain extent, but I think, for Irish rugby as a whole, I think it's better that you don't have four guys in Leinster in, in the same position. You look at like someone like Nick Timoney, who's really coming into his own up in Ulster at the moment. So I think that was a difficult thing. I think the thing about David Nusifora is he, he, I don't think he really minds who he upsets. Um, and to be fair, in a position like that, you, you probably need that kind of trait. But I think that's been one, one thing that he has done well. And I know not everyone will agree with that, but I still think the rivalries. Uh, that they still mean a lot, but I think 
for Irish rugby as a whole, I think it's better that you spread the spread the talent around. And is, do you think there's an issue though that the really only the only real conversations they had were whether where they were going to move the Leinster guys, the surplus in Leinster, where was that going versus actually actually developing you know real talent and nurturing it and bringing it through, making sure that young guys uh, you know are, are being brought through in the other provinces and aren't being you know you know aren't being usurped by some some Leinster guy coming down and actually not having been given a proper opportunity do you think there's an issue there at all or do you think he has any is is there any responsibility at his feet for that so I'm, I'm playing kind of devil's advocate myself or i'm not sure that that's really under his remit well i, I think ultimately everything is under his remit isn't it in, in, in a sense but i know you, you the kind of the first point you raised i thought was a good one like it's very broad but at the same time we, do we know specifically exactly what his kind of kpis are in terms of what he needs to deliver is it ultimately just a national team winning and filling the aviva stadium is it is it a whole host of different things i know there's there's some insight we get now and again into into all these things but it, it's not i suppose 100 percent clear at, at times like just i i think his remit is overarching but like it might not be said explicitly in in the fine print but like you're right will like ultimately it is about the the ireland men's national team because they're the ones who make the money for for the irfu but just on luke's point i think I think most most of the, the the cream will still rise to the crop. I think in the provinces, of course, like I agree with you to a certain extent that like you know moving Leinster guys is going to take away the chance of a guy who's been working his ass off in Munster, Connacht, where, wherever it is. But I'm trying to think like off the top of my head, have have many players like in other provinces been been hard done by? I suppose you could argue that maybe they didn't get it enough of a chance, but I still think that like that's the way to to kind of move forward with with Irish rugby and I'm not for a second suggesting that players should be moving constantly but you look at the guys who have moved and I think by and large they've probably done done well for themselves by getting out of there um, and you're right of course it's always going to be Leinster I think I think that's just inevitable because of the playing numbers and like I said from the original point about the the Leinster school system is just awesome and like you look at the number of players that are being churned out there like there, there isn't enough room at Leinster to to go around. Even I see there's a young guy um, from from Coolmine is heading over to Pau um, in France, you know. And you have was it Will Hickey didn't get a place in the the Leinster Academy, who is by all, like by all accounts like an outstanding schools player. He's gone to the Ospreys. So I think there will always be issues that there aren't enough places to go around and. Like it'll be very interesting to to watch what someone like Will Hickey and like how he gets on at the Ospreys, but. I guess my point is that my preference would be to see a guy like that be kept in Ireland. And I guess someone like Sean O'Brien in Connacht is the latest example of that, you know, being lost to the, the system. And that was something that came up with, uh, with days at New Sephora last week as well about like, you know, how, how is this guy being allowed to leave? And if he goes over to Exeter and you see Rob Baxter, you know, in the statement when he signed is already talking about him potentially pushing on and, and starting, it's not like he's going to be kind of a squad filler. So there, there, there are issues like that that you don't want to see guys slip through the crack. And I suppose you could ask... Um, What's the answer for that? Like, you know, there's only four teams. Like, you know, they can't give everyone a, a place. Like someone like Sean O'Brien, they'd already, I think, apparently done their contracts for centres next year. So this kind of was, there was no real place to, to, to put them, apparently. I, like, I, no, just, I, I agree. I agree with you, Will. And I do think there's been like a lot of... Um, like the outcry after that has been has been interesting. I think you know because he's the, been playing so well. <laughs> yeah, but the, I think the contracting probably had been done before that. Yeah. But I guess the argument is like, why couldn't they have made a place? I guess 
other people will um will point to like um by all accounts i believe um connacht are about to sign a south african uh born irish qualified center uh shane bolton which no. is which is very interesting I, yeah really yeah i believe i believe it's going to be announced soon so i i that that will that will frustrate i think people when they see someone like sean o'brien leaving the system and now he is irish qualified this guy that's coming over um a young guy 20, 21 in a few weeks supposed to be seriously talented um but i think it is a bit frustrating when you see a guy like sean o'brien who is you know he's like homegrown whatever and he has actually been playing well so i think that would probably frustrate people and particularly maybe lou <laughs> oh ah uh, yeah i don't know yeah yeah, is he is he straight away? Well, I presume he's straight away like Irish qualified. So he, yeah, maybe yeah, he's, he's, or whatever. Yeah, he's not a project player. I'm actually even struggling to find out what his Irish roots is, but he does have Irish family. Okay, um, sorry. Well, then, then sorry. Then there's no reason for me to be humming and hawing there. But like, I suppose we do know we like Sean O'Brien would have been a known quantity to some extent, and that we know he's been playing well. We know he can play at the level that there's week in week out games at. You know, there's no way he was going to be. You know. And like a really expensive type player in a year where, of course, the, the biggest challenge for this year was always going to be the budgetary restraints um, off the back of COVID. I mean, they had to cut, was it was it 10% of the cost out of the, the wage bill? That was always going to have implications. And that's why we're seeing guys like Ty Furlong, you know, doing a year contract. And that. So you can't really blame him for those kind of things. I think that was actually good to keep him. Uh, that was a good result. I think they did well there. And they, hopefully that, that'll come back around with the crowds back in next year and all that. But someone like Sean O'Brien, like he can't be on big money. He's just not. And there's no way Exeter are, are giving him big money. He's he's he'll be a guy there saying, right, there's a, a two year or whatever, but we we'll I think it's a development contract, I think. Whatever he's on over there. Yeah, exactly. He'll be on something that they go, right, we can revisit this if you're starting in the team next year. Um, you know, but you know, they got him on the cheap because I think he's a, you know, and that could be a real coup for them. But on the flip side, like that can't have been a big cost to uh for for, for the IRFU to absorb. Um you know, to keep a really quality guy that we know is has shown promise. So that's that was disappointing. I think that's rightfully so. People were kind of questioning that. Um, but look, if there's an Irish guy coming in to replace him, then yeah, look, that that's that's probably good. To, that's probably good as well, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, the funny thing on the Sean O'Brien move is like, you know, when you look at Exeter Chiefs and how good they are, the centres is probably the one area where they don't have the kind of the strength and depth. And, you know, I was, when Henry said on international duty, they don't have like, you know, huge marquee names there. Sean O'Brien could conceivably play quite a bit of rugby next year. And if he carries that form over that he's shown for Connacht, he might end up playing quite a bit for them. One thing before we finish up the David Deuces 4 discussion, I'd like to get your opinion on a bit of a flyer of a flyer, but I'd be interested to see what you think. Like, so obviously David Deuces 4 is contract up in 2022. You know, say if he decides to leave and return to Australia, there's a void there, Keen. Like, you know, in terms of people who might replace him, one person I think would actually be quite suited to this job, and his contract is also up in 2022, is Leo Cullen. If he doesn't want to stay coaching Leinster, would he would come the way he has to manage Leinster, moving players around, giving different people game time, keeping a lot of people happy, balancing a few different things? Is that the kind of skill set you think would work well in this role? You know, or would, would Leo Cullen being so identified with Leinster would that be maybe a stumbling block to going into a national position? Although the people do it in terms of being an international head coach from a club head coach, and that doesn't seem to stop them. I wouldn't think it's a stumbling block at all. And I think, you know, if you were to ask Leo Cullen privately, well, maybe Luke is the only one who can do this. <laughs> I'm sure he would say that his ambitions are to get involved in the Irish setup one way or another. I mean, that's just surely obvious. It would be a natural progression, like whenever it happens, you know. So, like, 
it's such a different role though and I'm sure Leo still gets kicks out of you know putting on the tracksuit and training with the pack and with the forwards and stuff I think it's a big it would be a big change I mean I know it's a bit of a cliche about taking off the tracksuit and putting on the suit but that's essentially what it is now is you could look at someone like um at Rassi Erasmus who is now director of rugby at South Africa and um, with Jacques Nienarber head coach but Rassi is still going to be heavily involved on the coaching side of things. So yeah, maybe it would be something that he, he would look at. And like you said, he did sign a short term contract. I'm not sure if that's the reason. I mean, if, if they're no, I'm not, to- I'm not claiming he's, he did it just to get you a position for a new for his job. I'm just saying the timing wise. And just what I, I just think he's someone who could be suited to, because it's an interesting role. It's, a, it's, it's ostensibly the top of the tree in Irish rugby, even ahead of the international head coach. Um, so I just, it's an interesting one. I'd say we probably, like, maybe not us, but maybe people underestimate, I would say, how much coaching Leo Cullen probably still does at Leinster. I mean, Stuart Lancaster gets so much of the credit, but, like, Leo Cullen is still, you know, he's the main man there. Um, and I'd imagine he plays a huge role, particularly in coaching the forwards and things like that. So, yeah, like, it'd be interesting. Even, like, people like, you know, David Humphreys, like Connor O'Shea. I know Joe Schmidt was mentioned as well. I don't know. If he if he'd come back, if that would be strange, wouldn't it? Like, I think it, I think it would be because I think he would uh, imagine with, me and the head coach working on the show again. <laughs> <laughs> you'd just be like, uh and I, and like the attention to detail, like he'd end up just he'd end up taking the sessions. Yeah, <laughs> um, I don't think he would be able to stay away, and that probably no. wouldn't be healthy either. So, um, but yeah, it's like it goes back to the earlier point I made. You would hope that the IRFU though do have a shortlist, you know, drawn up that whenever it happens that these are the guys they're going to go for. And yeah, I would imagine that Leo Cullen would be one of the options, but I don't know if he would be ready. Like he's still, he's still very early in his coaching career. Like, isn't he? I'm, maybe he wants a few more years at, at the kind of cold face of it. I think he has more to offer coaching wise than people think. Mm. I've, I'm sure I've been coached by him. So I know like he's, he is excellent, you know, and um, yeah, I was there. He was probably learning, but I would imagine you know, the Stuart Lancaster thing has worked brilliantly and you have to have a really big, confident personality to be able to bring someone like that in and be very comfortable in what you're delivering um, to, to have someone like Stuart around who is, of course, like an outstanding coach. And like, there's no, there's, it, it's, it's for no, it's not for no reason that he's getting loads of plaudits from inside the camp and outside the camp. He, you know, that's because he's doing brilliant work in there. Um, so, uh, you know, that's de- like, he is definitely a huge part of it, but Leo is of course a huge part of it as well. So, yeah, I mean, I wonder, is that just a case of him saying, you know, you know, where, where do I take the Leinster project from here? You know, I've been here for, you know, the guts of probably, you know, 12 years, 11, 12 years, probably at this stage, you know, between coaching and playing since he come back from Leicester, you know, I'm sure he might not be opposed to a new challenge. Um, or maybe he'll kind of, if, if Stuart goes, he might wait around till then and possibly, you know, take over that role or be more involved, um, you know, having got the learnings of working with Stuart. So we don't know what Leo is one. In terms of that role, you know, he will be very suited to something like that too. I, I don't see, you know, if he wanted to get into more of the management side of things and managing the resources and making sure that they get the most out of it, I'm sure he could do a brilliant job at that too. Like he has the acumen for it. Uh, he has the personality for it. He can kind of be fairly robust when he needs to be and he can dig his feet, you know, dig his heels in if he needs to, because that's definitely a requirement in the job. And probably the one thing about David Nussifor that I'd say he's bloody good at that. He doesn't really care too much what anyone thinks, which is probably a good thing. Um, in terms of other candidates, though, I mean, someone that, interestingly enough, and this is maybe something that you guys, uh, I think Bernard Jackman would be unbelievable at that. 
I think Bernard Jackman would be really, really good. I think he's a really good eye for young talent. I don't know if you watch much of him on the on the TV or anytime he's breaking stuff down. He really knows the game. He has got a business head about him as well. So he'll understand how to allocate the resources. Um, you know, whether he's, you know, he's got a fairly good job outside of rugby at this stage. Uh, but he's still very, very involved in the game. He did some very good work over at the Dragons. And let's face it, you know, an environment where, you know, they got complete, you know, you're completely decimated. But he did bring a huge amount of young guys through there. And they're actually probably seeing a bit of the fruits of it now. Um, so he could be someone that's maybe a bit of a left field that maybe no one's talking about for that role. Um, and I think he'd be very good at that. Um, weird one, but there you go. Um, who else could be good? I don't yeah, think it's I agree. weird, actually, Luke, at all. I think I don't think it's a weird shout at all. I think, yeah, I, I don't hear anyone talking about him. I hear people saying Schmidt and you know, a few other names, but that, yeah, I suppose, yeah, I like the, the kind of the, the bigger, more fancier names or whatever you want mm. to call them. But like, I agree with you. I find like whether it's someone like whether it's Jack Bernard Jackman doing, I don't know, a tactical breakdown piece. Um, he's phenomenal at it on the TV. But even also just talking about Irish rugby kind of in general, like he's got strong ties to the, to the club game. Um, for me, I think whatever person comes in has to put a focus on the AIL. Um, like I know I'm like a long playing record here, like, but it's just desperate to see how much it's fallen. And you look at the talent like we mentioned about players like leaving Ireland and where do they go in that, like we have a resource on our doorstep that could be better, better used. So I would like to see whoever it is coming in, get the AIL back up and running. And um, because it's such a shame to, to see like what it's become over the last few years. But yeah, I think Jackman would be very good. He's got like, he's some man to like tie down a full-time job, but have his finger on the pulse of, everything rugby like his knowledge is just phenomenal so yeah I don't think it's uh, that weird of a shout at all no definitely because when you think about the, the scope of his experience like you know obviously played rugby in Ireland you know was involved in the successful Leinster team has coached you know in Wales and in France so he'd have an idea of you know Irish players going abroad he, he, he'd have a singer on the pulse there he'd know what their experience is going to be like the kind of like care they're going to be getting over there he's coached in the schools game with St Michael's he's been involved with club rugby as well I think Will as well. He he was actually involved in the the FFR had maybe thirty or forty in in you know for some kind of advisory panel. Yeah, he, yeah. Uh, he's talked about that on the podcast before, I think as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I think he's been like you're like so he, I'm sure he's been in positions where you know he's planning you know how best to get the bet you know out, out of the talent pool or, or how to nurture the talent pool better. I'm sure he, I, he's definitely been involved in a few of those conversations. Will. Yeah, no, definitely. Like, it's actually a real good shout. Like in terms of the breadth of his experience, it's not just you know one. He's just not just been a head coach, or he's not just done this or that. He actually has kind of a, a bit of a bit of everything across the board. It's an he, interesting. He's good one. to work with too. Like he's got a huge, huge work ethic. You know, he's the kind of guy you'd like, and he's good at actually working people as well. Um, you know, I found him really, really great to work with the Leinster. Um, and you know, he's like he's he's he gets through a serious amount of work. Like he he's nonstop. He'd be yeah. like Joe Schmidt in that respect. Do you know what I mean? He, he'd be great. And he'd be out visiting all the clubs uh, up and down the country. He'd be kind of one of those guys who, like like Keen is saying, you could get, he could be great for the grassroots as well as the top, the the, the top upper, sorry, I suppose, the upper echelons of the game, um, which are obviously the key to, you know, it's a very important that the men's team does well because that's what really filters down. That's where the, the, the funds filter down to support the game. But, you know, I'm sure he'd have lots of good ideas about how to, to nurture the talent there and make sure that, you know, we give it a bit of a revival, you know, because it's still so important to have, you know, people on the ground in the local clubs where all the mini rugby's going on, all that kind of stuff. That's the that is still the lifeblood of the game here. 
regardless of what people talk about schools and all that kind of stuff people always pick up their first rugby ball uh generally in their club playing mini rugby i think the clubs are going to become even more important in times like this now where everything is starting to reopen like people haven't been able to go down to their local club they haven't had an outlet and like you know it's easy to get lost in like the like you said luke the the upper echelons of of the game in ireland but like it's important to remember the club players as well like you even think about the amount of late developers that have come through over the last few years and it's really important i think to to remember them and just a, just final point on, on bernard jackman i think you know it's probably worth pointing out as well like that the irish setup and system that he would be coming into while it would be a massive step up to you know to his previous jobs it's also far better as in the structures that are in place like luke you mentioned the dragons like that was a very difficult job i mean that was like really absolutely thankless you know the stuff that they were going through and obviously grenoble in the top 14 like i mean it's just you know i've heard some of his stories before about you know trying to sign players and deal with the contracts and stuff and the top 14 is obviously a mad league at the best of times and Grenoble like where obviously got promoted and things like that so I think the structures will be in place for someone like that to, to maybe push on and anyone who's listening to this maybe and is pointing to previous jobs it's it's worth remembering that this would be I think far you better them up for five or six years Kane. like he did a like on a, on like on a shoestring compared to a lot of the other teams that are like you know kind of mainstays there so I think yeah you're that's, that's a good point yeah yeah I completely agree with that yeah, but it's interesting. Like with Nusa Four, they opted. It was the first time this role was filled as a like the IRFU performance director. They opted for someone outside the system with no ties internally. Like he was coming in completely fresh view of things. Like, would it be better now to go with someone like Bernard Jackman or another candidate who knows the system inside out, who's inside or not maybe inside the system necessarily, but has a good knowledge of it? It'll be interesting to see what way they go with it. That's only if, obviously, David Nusifor opts to opts not to stay on it in 2022. Already filling his job. <laughs> yeah. We spent 30 minutes. Ah, David, it's a slow week. Don't take it personally. Like, there's not much rugby happening. I think like, there was some connection between him and Joe prior to the to, to that him getting that job anyway. Hadn't they worked together? Yeah, well, well maybe, the, maybe the Blues, like Nusifor was the head coach of the Blues for for you know three yeah, or four years so perhaps they, yeah. they crossed right. he did come in with fresh eyes yeah so yeah. look yeah no, it is an interesting one and, and it is probably an important role despite there being from the looks of it no accountability <laughs> for bad results <laughs> and Keane just before we finish up this is one bit of news and a very unfortunate news with the Lions store coming into view is the injury to Andrew Porter always going to be a couple of those unfortunate guys who unfortunately pick up an injury in the lead-in uh for someone who definitely could have had a big impact, you know, obviously Tyke Furlong is definitely the consensus number one, but he could have had a very good chance of playing meaningful time off the bench in, in the big test matches. Yeah, like, absolutely. I think, first of all, on a personal level, it's just absolutely gutting um, for Porter. Like, you know, it kind of goes back to the point we were talking about earlier, the Rainbow Cup and the games. Like, I know the guys have to play in these games, but God, it must be so frustrating to pick up. Um, like, to be fair, it was a really innocuous injury that he got, but to pick it up in a game that was ultimately totally meaningless is so frustrating. And I know you can't really look at it like that, but this this period of games is is so, so tricky um, for guys. And I know Luke will be able to talk about that more. Like, But... I know you have to go hard and like you say like when when you don't go hard at it like that's when you pick up the injuries but god there must be like doubts in the back of some lads had heads i just don't think they'd be human if they if they weren't thinking god i don't want to get injured here it was interesting we were talking to stuart lancaster on monday and it sounds like um leinster's lines um like so like say jack conan type furlong 
they might not play um, against the Dragons on Friday because for that reason. Um, whereas Munster are going, were, well, they were planning on playing Tyburn and Conor Murray because their game was obviously far more important. But yeah, like it, it's hard to not to feel sorry for for any guy who who gets injured in the lines. But like Porter, like in particular, I did a piece on him a couple of weeks ago, um, just on his journey to get to this point and. Like, God, for such a young guy, he's come through an awful lot, like, you know, with the really sad passing of his of his mom when he was younger. And you just want to see guys like that do well. Like, anytime we talk to him, he always comes across as a really nice, genuine person. And that was certainly the impression that I got from um, David Jones, who was kind of like his mentor when he was in um, St. Andrews. So, yeah, it's, it's gutting. I think he would have had big, like, eyes on um, being on the bench for the Lions. Obviously, it opens the door for Kyle Sinclair now. And, it's it's very frustrating because it's not a big serious injury and by the sounds of it it's only going to keep him out for a few weeks but obviously you know you can't just can't pick up an injury like that at this time it's not like it's going to be a long-term injury by the sounds of it so yeah it's very tough for him very tough for him yeah Luke just something to think Keen mentioned like from your memory in 09 like was there anything in the back of your head when you were going out I know Lens were going for a Heineken Cup so that probably superseded everything like probably not a fair comparison we, yeah. it was very easy for us to get up for those games um, you know and um, yeah really really good for him it's you know four years of well it's more than that for for for, for players it's a lifetime of work uh, particularly for your first one um, to, to get to that point and to have it taken away for a, you know, fairly, you know, what will seem like a small injury, although I will say, you know, long-term, you know, so important for props to have their toes in good health. You saw how long it took Dunnick Orion, CJ um, Van der Linde for, for Leinster, it kept him out for about uh, 14, 15 months as well. Like you have to get the toes right. It's really important for your purchase in the scrum. So, you might seem like a small one and obviously it's a gutter but like you know i saw it looked like he, it looked like he's put up a photo on instagram it looked like he had he did have surgery on it looked like in mm. uh, i don't know if you saw that on his instagram anyway but yeah well like just the sense of lancaster saying that like you know it was it was a few weeks rather than a few months injury oh sorry it's not like a 10 month or yeah, something that, that's what i mean like it's that, that that makes it even more frustrating of course yeah and, and look it does no, no matter what if it was a you know you're missing an alliance tour and he would have had a big opportunity to impress out there um, and given his versatility, you'd have to say he'd be someone you'd think, geez, he'd be unbelievable to have on the bench out there. So, yeah, it's a, it's a real gutter for him. From the Lions' perspective, I suppose, Kyle Sinclair, uh, you know, there was probably a few eyebrows raised, you know, when he wasn't selected initially anyway, given that he'd been on the previous one. Um, didn't think he had a great Six Nations, but he's played very well subsequently for, Le for, for, for Bristol. Obviously, he gave that fairly uh, emotional interview, uh, which got, went down very well. Um, so, yeah, it's good. You know, it's nice to have someone with a bit of personality out there. Um, and he'll be, a, you know, he's a great player too. So he'll be a big addition to the Lions tour. He's got the experience, so they don't lose out much. It's just unfortunately, poor old uh, our our guy Andrew Porter who, who's lost out. So it's a it's a bit gutting from an Irish perspective and from Andrew's perspective. But uh, you know, he'll move on. There's more tours for him. I think he looks like he's going to go get better and better uh, as time goes on. And look, a toe injury, while it probably seems like a small one, you know, for someone in his position, it actually might be a very important one, particularly given all the weight that he has to put through it with his own body weight, but also all the pressure in the scrum. So long term for his career, it might actually be good that he takes a bit of time. Yeah, and hopefully it's not too serious and he makes a speedy recovery. And from a South African perspective, Keen, obviously, we mentioned at the top of the show, DLN and Steeman obviously recovering from, from that accident. 
Also, you know, Dwayne Vermeulen looks like he's going to be in a race to be fit. He's had surgery on his ankle. Even now, like Lou Jaeger, you know, fractured a bone in his leg a couple of, you know, maybe two a month and a half ago. So he's in a race to be fit. So that engine room that was so key to that World Cup success. And obviously they haven't played since the World Cup final as well. Like they're missing a few pieces retired as well. Yeah. Two lads like that, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, you're missing the beast, you know. You're missing potentially Diego. You're potentially missing Dwayne Vermeulen. Sneeman could be missing out. Dialende was the hard carrier. That, that's a lot of firepower they could be missing. It is. They still have a lot of large men, though, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> they just replace one large man after another. Um, yeah, and like I suppose from like a fan's perspective, even like it's it's gutting because you want to see the best players on show. Of course you do. Um, and like you know, it was funny, like the way, not funny is the wrong word to use, but like it was interesting to see Jacqueline Arbor today when he was kind of talking about, you know, Snyman and Dialende, that he was sort of uh, hinting that they could make it back for the, the test that they're playing against Georgia before the tour. But like Snyman has just had knee surgery in the last few weeks again on his torn ACL. So while he's obviously recovering from the significant burns that he suffered in the accident last weekend, the guy hasn't played rugby and is also still injured with a knee injury. So even if he was to recover and fingers crossed he'd make a full recovery from the burns, like he's still struggling with his knee and hasn't played since his debut was it last August. So yeah, like especially because I know, as I said, Diego's injured as well. So but they still have a lot of options. You know, Mostert is still there. Etzibit, obviously, Mar- Marvin Ovi has been playing quite well in in the Rainbow Cup. Like they have other options there. Like it would seem to me, Luke, to be madness to rush him, him back from not only the injury he suffered from that that, that incident there last weekend, but as Keane says, hasn't played with an ACL tear and had another tune up on the knee there a couple of weeks back. There's something about South Africa and the Lions, lads. It's hard to describe. They yeah. absolutely live for it. Seriously, mm. they, they. I know, you know, New Zealanders love their rugby and that, but um, you know, the, and look, the Aussies as well, but to to a far lesser extent, um, the the South Africans just love it. Like the amount of them after they won the last World Cup, the the, the 07 World Cup, who stayed around on lesser, you know, for for lesser money, just so they could be around for the Lions tour. Um, they love it. It's really hard to, it's really hard to describe to they're kind of down there. But they, 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 if they can get back for it, you know, and they're available, they'll definitely, you know, they'll they'll try and play regardless of if there's a little bit of extra risk injury wise. I'm not saying it's the best thing for the player long term or anything like that, but you know, it comes around once every twelve years down there, and they are living for it down there. They just love it. So I'm not surprised if they'd be pushing a few guys who maybe are on the edge injury wise. Well. But just just on that, I think like Munster would like hate to hear that because I mean with Snyman, you know, and rushing back to make the line, so I just can't stop thinking about Joey Carberry and going to the World Cup and how much time that cost him. Like from a purely selfish uh, Munster point of view, like they have invested a lot into Snyman, and if he was to go on the Lions tour and pick up any sort of niggle again, that was going to cost him months into next season. Like that is an utter, utter disaster for Munster because they have only seen him for a few minutes on the pitch. So you would hope that, you know, Johan van Graan, JP Freire, the strong South African connection that's in Munster and obviously Rassi Erasmus and Jack Neenarber having been there before, you would hope that like the communication is pretty strong between them and that there are no risks taken with him, even if he's pushing it. Because I, and I know like South Africa will like the Lions will mean so much to him but from a monster point of view it would be a disaster if his injury carried into next season I think it'll supersede it 
They well, no, of course, of course it would, but I just mean purely from a monster point of view. Oh, I'd be gunning for them if he, if he got another injury. I mean, how unlucky have they been with that signing, you know, and the difference he'd make to Munster as well. Um, yeah, no, I completely get it, Keane. So hopefully they do treat him right. And look, at the end of the day, it might, it might end up being the case of a guy saying, do you know what, Rassi, I'm not actually ready for this. Or, you know, uh, whoever whoever he's speaking to about this, you know, I, I just feel like I need another couple of months. I'm, I'm gutted that I'm missing it, but... That's pretty hard. As I said, it only comes around once every 12 years and they just love it in South Africa. It's such a shame that there's not going to be any crowds at the game, probably, uh, because the, the the support you get locally, it's really hard to to describe to people. Like if you're there, if you're if you were down, you know, traveling from game to game, you know, after a match, pre-match, you know, in the stadiums, there is some buzz down there. So they're, they're, they're gagging. If, if they can get back, they'll be gagging to get out in the pitch, like even if they're on the edge of being fit. Yeah, it'll be certainly interesting to see that squad selection for that Georgia test in a couple of weeks of time to see if these Munster guys can make it back and, and some of these other injured players. But for the moment, Key and Luke, thanks so much for joining me. Cheers, lads. That's all we have time for this week on the Left Wing Podcast. We'll be back next week with another show. And in the meantime, you can listen to us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or on independent.ie. So until next time, thanks for listening and goodbye.